0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 134 of X-Lapse, where uh, we're still a little bit off the beaten path after our uh, extended uh, sword fight. (laughs) We are not quite back to business as usual just yet. We're going to take care of a little bit of business that happened while uh, our heroes were out fighting with swords, or searching for swords, or not using the swords that they searched for. Um, We're going to talk about... Well, we're going to talk about an issue of the Fantastic Four And it's a it's an issue that was brought to my attention Right around the time it came out To And uh, folks were asking if we were going to discuss this Because it is, at least one scene, or one page Is uh, very relevant to um, not only Krakoa and the X-Men But an entire miniseries that we uh, covered not too long ago on the show So, a lot of you probably already know where this is headed But... Uh, we're gonna get into it anyway But first, I figured, uh, since we're not gonna have a heck of a lot to talk about Outside of that one scene, that one page in this book I I might as well talk a little bit about my life and times as a uh, fan of the Fantastic Four And it's, uh, not an especially thrilling story <laughs> The Fantastic Four were never my favorites Um... I don't know of anybody who could say that they were. Uh, all the folks that I grew up hanging out with, and even the folks that I hang out with now, Fantastic Four are just kind of there. You know, it reminds me, whenever I think of the Fantastic Four, I'm reminded of a discussion that Reggie and I used to have a lot uh, regarding Superman. We would talk about how anytime DC would make like a big change to Superman, people would come out of the woodwork to just talk uh, talk down about it, just uh, really get angry about it and be offended about it. Even people who haven't read a Superman comic in, you know, 20 years or ever, you know? I think of the Fantastic Four as in a similar sort of thing as that because people want the Fantastic Four to exist— just so they could go ahead and continue not caring about it or not paying attention to it. But they want it there, you know? They do want it there. They want it to be the same as it ever was. But they're not going to pay attention to it. And uh, for a lot of my comic collecting career, uh, well, the early parts and the current parts, uh, I've been... Pretty much in that, uh, in that mode, you know I liked the fact that there was a Fantastic Four I would like to see them showing up on On the fringes of of an event or something That I'd be following And, uh, that's about it Now, it wouldn't be until the late 1990s Where I would, uh, finally Try the Fantastic Four I, I, you know, of course, owned a few issues of it That comics would just wind up Finding their way into your home No matter what they were You'd find something Uh, I think a lot of folks who, uh were into comics or are into comics, you you will wind up with these odd smatterings of books that maybe you just thought to buy, maybe somebody bought them for you, but you never really had an eye toward collecting them. And that changed for me with the Fantastic Four around the time of Heroes Return, because uh, I had heard that Chris Claremont was coming onto the book, and this was probably right after I'd read... uh, Either the first or the first two volumes of The Essential X-Men Which uh, started collecting uh, Claremont's run It actually starts with Giant Size And then, you know, goes into the to the Claremont run proper So I was really, really being turned on to the magic That was Chris Claremont at this point And when I saw that he was mending fences with Marvel And, uh, you know, was maybe going to come back to the X-Men eventually I wanted to be in on the ground fo- floor with his return project, and it was, you know, the Heroes Return Fantastic Four once uh, Scott Lobdell walked away. And I was a huge fan of it. I really, really dug it. And it's weird. When when people talk about the Fantastic Four, you'll usually go to the Burn run, or you'll go to the Wade and Ringo run. For me, my mind immediately goes to the Claremont run, which... Uh, it's an understated run I believe it starts with, uh, like, TechNet The Excalibur, uh, you know, villains, uh, attacking And very, very Claremontian, you know, in hindsight I didn't know it at the time, but now it's like, oh yeah, it's definitely some, uh, some Claremont tropes in there But I will always think back to the Claremont run on the Fantastic Four as a very special run to me, um There was a bit in there where I think uh, Reed and Doctor Doom switched bodies and there was a wedding between Sue and Doom, but it was actually Reed. It was really, really strange stuff, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And that led me to want to go back and pick up old issues of the Fantastic Four. And there's another comparison we have between the Fantastic Four and Superman is the back issues of both uh, are very, very cheap. You know, people did not care about them At least in my neck of the woods here I was able to find the entire John Byrne run In uh, in bargain bins, cheapo bins You know, buck or below bins And that's where I went After uh, after getting the Claremont stuff And getting caught up on that And then keeping up with that I went back and I grabbed the Byrne stuff Because that's what everybody said was Like the seminal Fantastic Four And I picked that up and I enjoyed it I enjoyed it It wasn't, uh Quite as mind-blowing as I thought it was going to be But then again, you know, what is When something's hyped to the moon and back It's hard for Anything, no matter how good it is, to live up To uh, whatever Expectation you might give it But I, I did collect the entirety Of the Burn run um, Later on in real time uh, Mark Wade and Mike Waringo came on And I loved that That was uh, That was something I called like candy comics You know, it's like it's just really, really good It's so nice to look at It felt like it had heart It was a family book I mean, I'm not say- saying anything you guys don't already know But it further cemented my fandom You know, they again, they were never my favorite But I was enjoying it It was something I looked forward to every month And with the Burn stuff out of the way I decided I wanted to keep, you know, backfilling my Fantastic Four collection And, uh... That's when we get into the Defalco stuff. I would, uh, and the Defalco stuff. If the burn stuff was in a fifty-cent bin, the Defalco stuff would be in a quarter bin or a dime bin. <laughs> Those they were basically giving away. The Defalco stuff, and I didn't much care for it, but uh, it was kind of a situation where I was in for a penny and for a pound. And it's like I'm not going to have this big huge hole in my collection if I'm going to be serious about, you know, backfilling. I got to get everything. And uh, the DeFalco stuff, though quite a bit weaker, I mean, I I shouldn't say weaker because the Burn stuff wasn't weak, but it was underwhelming. Um, One of the things that I remember being really, you know, I'm a 90s guy, so a lot of the stuff that I learned about these characters were on trading cards because, you know, we didn't have Wikipedia, we didn't have, you know, uh, Marvel Unlimited, we didn't have anything like that. So. You had trading cards and you had uh, the official Marvel handbooks, but those were a little bit outdated going into the 90s. You know, those were mid-80s relics and uh, really really weren't uh, in the gestalt of what I was, you know, following at the time. So the trading cards were a big thing for me. And I remember one of the trading cards, it was a rookie card. I believe it was Marvel Universe Series 3. There was a rookie card for the new Fantastic Four. And the new Fantastic Four was uh, Wolverine, Spider Man, Hulk, and Ghost Rider, because uh, it was you know the early 1990s and that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the uh, it's kind of emblematic of the time. And uh, the issues I, I want to say it was a uh, was it Walt Simonson and Art Adams on those issues? I think it was. I could be mistaken, but I think it was. Those issues were like the only issues of Fantastic Four that went up in value for the time. And uh, I remember when I would set my mind to, you know, pulling all these books out and actually collecting, you know, Fantastic Four all the way back to when I was born, those were the ones that kind of freaked me out. I'm like, I'm never going to get those for cheap. Those are going to be, I'm going to be taxed on those, right? And that's usually the way it goes when you find, when you find great big runs of comics in the bargain bin, They'll always be like one or two short And those one or two will cost you like You know, 20 bucks each or something like that So totally negates the uh, the savings of uh, of you know the dive But luckily I, I did come into I think it's a two or three part story I, I found those in a dollar bin as well The new Fantastic Fours Which, uh, you know, that, they were a lot of fun They were a lot of fun here um, Definitely gimmicky But they played up the fact that it was a gimmick And that was pretty cool to me um, I would also grab The Heroes Reborn stuff uh, You know, I couldn't have You know, it's it's Something that Marvel does from time to time They go back to legacy numbering You know, and uh, So I'm collecting The, you know, the Lobdell Claremont Into the Wade Waringo, and I think Carlos Pacheco had a run in there too, that was Volume 3 of Fantastic Four, and uh, You know, you collect the entire volume And it's like, ah, eh, you know, I don't really need Volume 2, and then well, they announced that they're going back to legacy numbering, which collects all three volumes into the uh, into the legacy number, and it's like, well, crap. <laughs> now I gotta go get Heroes Reborn, and uh, I did. I did. I found those pretty cheap as well, uh, despite the fact you know, like Jim Lee did the covers, and I and the I don't know if he did many of the interiors. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a it's been a minute since I've uh, since I've looked at those, but. I eventually, you know, grabbed the Heroes Reborn stuff, and eventually uh, I was able to collect all the way back to uh, before I was born, which there were only a few, or there were only a few comics I could say that about because I've since dropped the Fantastic Four, you know, so I don't have a full collection from the day I was born. I've I've dropped things like Hulk. I've dropped things like the Avengers. So a lot of the things that I did have since the day I was born are... It's really no longer the case at this point, but at the time... I was, you know, from before I was a, you know, a, a glint in my parents' eye till that current day. I had every issue of Fantastic Four that came out, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, one thing I was kind of excited about was uh, the Grant Morrison Marvel Knights story, uh, which I think it was Fantastic Four one two three four or four three two one or something like that. Didn't really do it for me <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just really getting to know Grant Morrison at this point He was on New X-Men This is you know, when he came over to Marvel And uh, he did uh, Marvel Boy um, New X-Men, of course And he did this Fantastic Four thing Which really didn't do a whole heck of a lot for me uh, His, at the time, running buddy Would take over Fantastic Four Sometime in the years following that uh, Mark Miller And, uh that was another run that I did not care for. <laughs> it was another run that uh, reminded me why Fantastic Four would never be my favorite book. Um, I really just collected it out of inertia at that point. And, I mean, that's just something that I do here. Uh, we could probably skip ahead to, uh, to Hickman, whose run, I mean, I've been on record as saying his run, I gave it an unfair shake because early in his run there was a lot of discussion about rebooting the universe and um, i kind of let that cloud my judgment and it made me just like kind of hate read the book because i was afraid it was leading to you know a tabula rasa sort of sort of reboot of the marvel universe so i didn't allow myself to uh, just receive the story and as such i feel like i did it a great disservice right I do know a lot of folks who like absolutely swear by that run and and consider it like the pinnacle of Fantastic 4 but uh you know I maybe I should give it another shot. You know, if I can if I can somehow find an extra few hours of the day, I might be able to give that a shot, but uh I do feel bad for maybe dismissing it unfairly. Um I, I, you know, absolutely dismissing it unfairly because Eh, Maybe it was something I would have enjoyed I just didn't let myself do it I was was in the, you know, once bitten, twice shy thing I had, uh, just a year earlier I had gone all in on uh, DC's Brightest Day uh, Crossovent You know, it's not a crossover, it's not an event It's a crossover It's just all these books with Brightest Day banners on them (laughs) And uh, whether they were tied into each other It didn't really matter It's just like, hey, DC has this great idea Plaster this logo on all these books And idiots like, well me, will buy all of them And so I did that And then, uh, you know, we had this promise That this was all going to lead somewhere And it did not It led to uh, pulling the lever on a toilet You know, they flushed everything and started the new 52 So... Once bitten twice shy, I was uh, really really getting nervous about what Marvel might do as a uh, response to the new 52 and I really really didn't want to see something another, you know, brand new sort of a reboot relaunch situation because that would have that would have probably ended my comic fandom uh, probably altogether because really what else is left? But after Hickman left, we we go into this run of volumes here. Because this the book we're going to discuss today is Volume 6. You know, we're in Volume 6 of the Fantastic Four. So they they were these, like, weird shorter volumes. And they were all very formulaic. And we'll talk about that in, in just a bit here. Because uh, I'm going to do something very tacky here. And I'm going to quote myself. Which uh, will elude. Or we'll... We'll talk about the Fantastic 4 you know, of how these books were written for a few years. And uh, on March 30th of 2018, I had written a piece on the blog, Chris's on Infinite Earths, about... Uh, we were still a uh, DC Comics-only blog at that point, so uh, the way I could tie in the Fantastic Four was to... Talk about in you know intercompany crossover sort of a situation there. So I did a weird Gen 13 Fantastic Four crossover prestige format book here. Gen 13 counts for DC since they're Wildstorm and DC owns Wildstorm. It's all these things I tell myself to make it so I'm not breaking my own rules here. But um, I covered this Gen 13 Fantastic Four book as a way to commemorate the fact that the Fantastic Four were being were being brought back because for a time. You know, we had these short volumes of Fantastic Four and then Fantastic Four just went away. They went back to legacy numbering for like three or four issues again and then they were canned. Um, Marvel didn't have the movie rights. I, I don't know if they do now. I don't follow any of that stuff, but they didn't. And so uh, they threw a little tantrum and took the Fantastic Four off the shelves. I know they they say it was for other reasons, but uh, I ain't buying it and uh, neither should you because... Uh, Marvel's very, very petty So, they announce, uh, probably March 28th or March 29th of 2018 That the Fantastic Four are coming back And uh, you couldn't go on Comics Twitter or Comics Facebook Without seeing a whole bunch of people celebrating Like, you would think these people actually bought and read Fantastic Four Even though nobody did, right? So, uh, what I wrote on March 30th, 2018 Is kind of an appeal to those people to Don't just talk about it Actually be about it you know, put your money where your mouth is. So what I said was, hey, looks like we Fantastic Four fans finally have a reason to celebrate, doesn't it? A lot of internet high-fives going around on the social medias, and I'm not much of a soapbox guy, but I can only hope that half of the folks taking part actually plan to put their money where their mouths are and, you know, buy the book. Fantastic Four is one of those special books that I have a complete run of since the day I was born. I can't say it's ever been my favorite, but it was more often than not a good time, and I was always glad to have it around. I'm hopeful that incoming writer Dan Slott has the right kind of love for the property, and that this volume won't go by the recent Fantastic Four formula of 1. Start-run 2. Break the team-up 3. Characters spend a year learning that they need each other 4. Reunite the team and 5. Cancel the book Rinse and repeat Anywho, I'm happy they're finally coming back And if you are too, do your old pal Chris a favor and buy the book Don't steal it online Don't wait for choice panels to hit Tumblr Don't just wait to hear a podcast cover it Actually go out and support it This way, six months from now, we won't all be bawling our fists And cursing Marvel for canceling the book again Then again, this is Marvel, where we're always Just about six to eight months away from a reboot anyway and that was my little soapbox there Because uh, there were a lot of people High-fiving online Yes, they're finally back And it's like, I know you're not going to buy this damn book So don't, don't do this here Don't do this for the, for the internet clout um, Now, like I said, I was happy they were back But it was a Dan slot book It was a Dan Slot book And um, of late I find his work to be particularly angry, and uh, I mentioned this during our discussion of X Men plus Fantastic Four. You know, I was I was hoping that maybe Chip Zdarsky would get a you know get the uh, up you know the ongoing gig, but uh, as it is Dan Slott, you really have to pry these things out of his cold hands to uh, to take a property away from him. And I find that he, especially now. Just comes across as very, very bitter and angry. And he's adversarial toward readers. And that to me is a big red flag. I mean, we talk a little bit about creators who are adversarial toward their fandom, their fan base. Um, I'm already kind of cringing at the thought that we have to do an Al Ewing book as part of this show in Sword. Speaking of, you know, being adversarial toward your readers. So Dan Slott just doesn't seem like a fella that I'd like to support with my money. And, uh, you know, I think back to the way he conducts himself here, and I remember him telling someone who had a very minor problem with something he did on Spider-Man to go F themselves. Like, didn't say F themselves, but he spelled it out. In public, like on social media, so everyone could see it. And, you know... I don't care if you include a like a cute little my tweets don't represent my employer in your profile. If you ask me if you're working for Marvel, you got to understand that the only reason like 99% of the people following you are actually following you is because you work for Marvel. Whether you like it or not, cute disclaimer or not, you're a Marvel representative. I mean, it might not be fair, but it is what it is. You know, it reminds me of like when like a like a rock truck is on the freeway, and they have a sticker on the back saying, not responsible for broken windshields. It's like, uh, yeah, you are. Just because you put a sticker there doesn't absolve you of your responsibility. It doesn't uh, absolve you from having to tie down your loads properly. It's just, eh, you know. Now, slots even come at me personally a time or two when I dared to suggest... That him bringing back a version of Uncle Ben and like one of the Spider-Verse things in Spider-Man wasn't near as revolutionary or internet-breaky and half as he said it would be? He, he came at me guns blazing. And this is just not a dude I'd want to follow or support with my money. Though, I will say, in fairness, I've enjoyed a lot of his work. I have enjoyed a lot of his work, so it's a shame. I would, uh, I'd put Superior Spider-Man next to damn near any Spider-Man story for the past 40 years. I think it's that strong and that well done. It's just a shame that uh he just conducts himself the way he does. I just uh I just can't support it, unfortunately. And unfortunately for uh for him and me, uh Fantastic Four is no longer one of my I Can't Quit You books. So uh I can't even justify it that way. But for this issue that we're about to discuss right now, this does actually affect the books that we're covering So we're going to include it And it's going to be a pretty breezy look at it Because a lot of it, I don't have the context for a lot of it You know, uh, this is a story that we're joining in progress A new status quo that I have not followed at all So I will, uh, I would be doing it a grand disservice To try to analyze it the way we do With our normal, you know, Dawn of X X of Swords, Reign of X books So... I think that's enough vamping Let's get into it here This is Fantastic Four Volume 6, number 26 It's had a January 2021 cover date And a legacy number of seven, I'm sorry, 671 The story is called One Stop From Everywhere Written by Dan Slott With art by R.B. Silva Colors Jesus Abertav, Letters V.C. Joe Caramagna Edits Martin Biro, Alana Smith, Tom Brevort, and C.B. Sabalski. Cover price $3.99 And this one went on sale November 18th of 2020 So, right in the middle of our exit tens. So, let's get into it We open with a single page spread of creds and roll call All at once, on the same page So it can be done And next thing you'll tell me That a quarter of this issue won't be eaten up by text pages Hmm Alright, anyway We open at the Florida Everglades where Johnny Storm and his new gal pal Sky are checking out the Nexus of All Realities. And, you know, we have a place near my house, like around the corner, that I I call the Nexus of All Realities. Uh, It's an intersection where Lake Pleasant Boulevard crosses with Lake Pleasant Boulevard. I mean, there's got to be some hinkiness about that, right? I mean, there's really no reason for it. Anyway. They run into Man-Thing, because of course they do. Johnny kinda geeks out, that's his words, not mine, I would never say geeked out, upon seeing him. Skye doesn't seem all that interested. Now the gimmick here is that the Fantastic Four have recently discovered, I think, and are currently stewarding this interdimensional thingy called the Forever Gate. Not to be confused with our own Krakoan Gates, though, I gotta wonder why we quite need these many teleportational gateways in Marvel Comics right now. I feel like even the Krakoan ones are a bit too much. Anywho, now the Forever Gate, if Reed and Valeria can get to the bottom of it, has the potential to send people anywhere they want to go. And we contrast that with the Nexus of All Realities, which is far more random in where it sends whoever dare pass through it. They just wind up somewhere. Sky likes the unpredictability of the Nexus more, which makes her sound like someone who's never actually had to be anywhere. Johnny does something with a holographic computer doohickey and suggests that they head back to Yancey Street. We shift scenes to Reed and Sue giving something of a press conference about this forever gate. Reed is really given the possibilities the gate might offer the hard sell here, but he begins to wax on like a bit too long, and so Sue has to cut him off and end the event. And I think this is supposed to be humorous, but it feels more to me like Mr. Fantastic has slipped into, you know, season seven of a sitcom mode where he's just become like a trope unto himself. Anyway, nearby, Valeria decides to have herself a goo through the Forever Gate because uh, she's crushing on this weird alien dude from some foresty-looking world. His name is Arboro, and evidently they had themselves a thing. I, I know Valeria's been rapidly aged, but how old? I mean, she's still a young child, right? Anywho, she goes to visit And comes to find that when Prince Arboros invited her to be his consort That, uh, well, she wasn't going to be the only one So she sees him flanked by a dozen or so concubines So, uh, uh, was that going to be Valeria's fate? Uh, This is weird and icky and uh, I'm not sure why it's necessary But uh, at least it's short Val then heads home to Kvetch about how awful boys are even though she's talking about a fully-grown alien pervert. She rattles Franklin's cage about this, and uh, he kind of just ignores her. Then we get to the reason we're looking at this issue at all. The one page that's relevant to the X-lapsed experience. Well, the main page. There'll be another mildly X-relevant page a little bit later. But this is the biggie. This is the biggie. Franklin goes to head to Krakoa, but he's stopped by Professor X. Xavier tells him that he cannot help restore Franklin's mutant powers because, well, he doesn't have any, and he never did. You see, folks, after a half-century in publication, Franklin Richards is now not a mutant, and never has been a mutant. We'll just let Chuck explain it. He says, you're not a mutant, and according to Cerebro, you never have been one. As a child, you dreamed of being different, special, Without intending to, you used your cosmic powers To alter every cell in your own body Till it appeared as if you possessed the X-Gene I'm sure this comes as a shock to you And you have many questions But you're going to have to work out the answers for yourself I'm very sorry, Franklin But you are no longer welcome on Krakoa And that's it How y'all like that? And we'll talk more about that in a bit We've still got some moderately boring comic stuff to look at here So, while Franklin stifles a sniffle We shift outside to Yancey Street Where a trio of folks are attacked by the Fantastic Four's weird alien security team Now, after being roughed up a bit Ben Grimm pops out to confirm that these three are friends and not foe Now, they are the power parents of Power Pack fame And some dude from Wakanda Now, the Powers are worried that their children never came back from a future Foundation space mission. And now that the Forever Gate is a thing, they're hoping that they could be brought back with the quickness. And so, an hour later, that's exactly what happens. So, wait a minute. There were kids lost in space, and the Fantastic Four did nothing to save them until, like, this minute? After having to be reminded? I, I gotta be missing something here, right? Otherwise, the Fantastic Four are just dicks, right? I mean, this is... I don't know. I'm gonna assume I'm missing something here. Now, the next several pages have the, fa- the Future Foundation foundlings return to Earth and be re- reunited with their families. Johnny's ex-wife, Lijah the Skrull, also shows up for some reason, but I thought she was dead. Oh, well. We also see Ricky Barnes, who is the Bucky of the Heroes Rebur- Reborn Pocket universe, Uh, She uh, thanks Franklin for creating her, since he, you know, created that world. He's kind of a god to them, I guess. Now, we're we're not going to be following this book, nor many of these characters, so we're not going to get too deep here. Uh, And I'm sure if I tried, again, I would only do them a disservice without the necessary context. The gist here is that in opening the Forever Gate and sending a beacon in order to save the Foundation foundlings... The FF have also alerted some Lovecraftian horrors to the breach. And, you know, these monsters show up and they start attacking New York. We'll let other shows handle that. The only reason that we're still talking about this at all is because two of these future Foundation foundlings are relevant to our X-Lapsed mission statement. Kinda. It's Artie and Leech, who Franklin informs that he will show them how to get home to Krakoa. So maybe... We're going to be seeing some Artie and Leech in our upcoming X-Books. Is that a good thing? Maybe. I don't know. That's it. That's the issue. That's really it. I mean, there is a cliffhanger. I don't have the context for it. We're not going to be covering it again. So, we'll just let that be. But... That's the issue. Next episode, um, I can actually say by popular request, we're going to be covering Juggernaut number two, because uh, when I floated the question out there, if we should continue that series, it was uh, unanimous. Everybody said, let's continue with Juggernaut. So uh, next episode, Juggernaut number two. But let's talk about this here We're really not going to talk much about the story Since, like I said, I don't have the context for it uh, I figure if you're following Fantastic Four You probably enjoyed this a whole lot more than I did um, I'm only really covering it to uh, be a completionist And uh, make sure we you know, touch on everything ex-mutant or Krakoan related That's going on in the current day books here uh, one thing that did stick out to me that was part of the story is uh, Valeria as a concubine, potentially. I, I That is, um... That's just weird, right? I mean, I don't know what this Arboros guy is all about. I don't know why he would invite a very young child to be his consort. It seems kind of creepy, and... Um, I mean what was Valeria's goal in going there anyway to to be with this dude? I I don't know how old she is. I don't know how old Arboros is. He looks he looks like a grown ass man, so it's a little creepy. I don't know why it's necessary in here. I, I I'm picturing Valeria as being maybe 10, maybe after being rapidly aged. Even if I'm off by, you know, 2 or 3 years, that's still it's still kind of gross. But uh we won't go there because I don't have the context for it. Maybe, maybe she's twenty-five. I don't know. Maybe she's just a very, uh, a very fresh-faced twenty-five. Maybe. Let's talk about Franklin. Let's talk about Franklin because he is the reason we're here. He's the reason we read X-Men plus Fantastic Four. He's the reason we got so excited during uh, House of X number one when Cyclops ran into the Fantastic Four and warned that, uh, you know, they they'd be uh, they'd be taking Franklin home at some point. Here we find out that after being around for, he's been on this planet longer than I've been, he's not a mutant anymore. And that's it. I, I, I It feels like this should have been a bigger revelation. This feels like it's an afterthought. It feels like Franklin as a mutant... Wasn't It should have been a story to be told And instead it was treated like a problem That needed to be solved Like this page You could have taken this page Out of the issue and it wouldn't have affected Anything except for like the one comment That he makes to Artie and Leach at the end That to me makes it feel Like this Was like a last minute sort of thing It's like hey we need to drop this in, into the story Somewhere we need to make sure that we we Confirm that he's no longer a mutant and as such, I feel like it really... It, nobody comes out of this looking good, you know? It doesn't help anything. It's just Professor X comes, and he acts completely out of character. He, he says till instead of until, which, I mean, that's very, very minor, but I, I would imagine Professor X would be a little bit more formal. And I, I, I would imagine he'd be a little less cold. It's like, hey, you got questions, but go F yourself. You got to figure it out on your own. I don't see that happening. Despite the fact that Professor X is a mutant, he's also a hero. He's also a good guy. I mean, depending on the week and depending on who you ask. But he is a... I don't think he'd be this cold towards Franklin here. Franklin and the Richards as, as a whole... They all put their faith into uh, Professor Rex, letting Krokoa letting Krakoa be a second home for Franklin. And here it's just like, yeah, hit the bricks. You're not allowed back. We'll send your stuff. It just feels just so out of character. It feels lazy. It feels it just doesn't work for me. Um I'm and I you know, I, I'm not talking about the fact that they demutified Franklin. You know that that was That's something Marvel felt they had to do, and it's something that Marvel did. Fine. I think there would have been a better way to do this. I mean, Professor X comes and he's like, yeah, Cerebro says you're not a mutant. Well, hasn't Cerebro been a thing since 1963? (laughs) You know, hasn't Cerebro's been around a long, long time. Suddenly, it's like, oh yeah, Franklin's not a mutant. We saw Cerebro ping at Franklin in X-Men Plus Fantastic Four. Did we miss an? I- Maybe it was one of those issues of Excalibur that I swear we missed, where Cerebro got a like an upgrade. They they updated the firmware on it. I I don't know. This feels just so strange. And also, like, wouldn't Xavier want to get uh, Reed and Sue involved in this discussion, just to just to let them know? It's like Franklin will go to his parents and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm not a mutant anymore, and I never was." Oh okay, cool. <laughs> let's let's go to the batting cages. I. This is. This deserved a little bit more thought. I don't, and again, I don't have context, so maybe in Fantastic Four number 27, there's more. Maybe in 28, there's even more after that. Uh, I'm gonna have to rely on you all to let me know. But as for a big reveal, this was done in a single page, which to me feels like bleeding cool bait. You know, they were baiting the you know, the, the vaunted comics journalists to write about this, to get more people to buy this issue. Um because like I said, you we could've we, we could have removed this page and it wouldn't have changed anything. Um I don't know, I just feel very, very unsatisfied with this revelation here And again, it's not about the revelation in and of itself If they needed Franklin not to be a mutant If they needed Franklin to be something else That's cool, but tell the story Don't just have don't just have three or four panels of someone saying Oh yeah, everything you thought you were, you're not Because the computer said so Even though the computer said you were a little while ago Now it says you're not So uh, best of luck, you know Pat on the ass, get out the door, you know not a fan of this at all But not much I can do about it uh, We we might have lost one But we we might have gotten two back We got Artie and Leech You want to talk about Artie and Leech? Yeah, me neither But uh, hey, we might be seeing them on Krakoa pretty soon I wonder I wonder if the editorial offices even talk to one another So I, for all I know Artie and Leech have been on Krakoa <laughs> In the background in several issues already And uh, just never pointed it out But maybe we'll see something Maybe there'll be a little bit more connective tissue We'll have uh, Artie and Leach show up And talk about their uh, Well, one of them will talk Artie will just project something About uh, their time as a future Foundation foundling So There's that um, What else can we talk about here? We can talk about the art It's R.B. Silva So it's uh, really, really good it's a very very pretty book. Um, even the stuff that was kind of boring to me, like the uh, like those weird aliens, you know, the security team that, like, an old lady who turns into like a whatever the hell it was, an alien, <laughs> and grabbed the power parents. Despite the fact that I was quite bored during that scene, it, it looked really really good. Overall, I really can't say if I have positive or negative thoughts about this issue as a whole, since I. Like I said, many, many times I don't have the context for this Uh, I would imagine if you're following Fantastic Four This is more of what you expect I have not read the Fantastic Four for several years So uh, I'm way, way out of my, my depth here in trying to analyze it So I'll just say if you're reading the Fantastic Four This is more of that If you're not, well And you still want that page with Franklin, you'll get it But other than that, you may not need this in your life I don't know if this would inspire anyone To jump in on Fantastic Four Because it sure didn't inspire me to jump in So, that's all I got to say about the issue here And again, um, we are off the beaten path of our uh, Dawn of X, Reign of X books And I am willing to cover anything in the wider Marvel Universe If if you all think that there's anything relevant to our discussion So please, point those issues out to me Help me out, let me know what uh, needs covering And I will be more than happy to devote an episode to uh, a new piece of X or mutant lore So uh, please, help me out if you know something that I don't But uh, that's all I got to say about this issue of Fantastic Four Let's head into the mailbag before we cut out of here We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Men number 15 He says, I am firmly of the opinion that the info pages from this issue should have opened X-Men number 1 The entirety of X-Men volume whatever would have been improved by the knowledge that the X-Men no longer exist And that Cyclops was looking for a new role, whether in his family or within the Krokoan hierarchy It would have added texture to the whole Hox-Pox-Dox premise to have characters feeling the absence of the X-Men Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, we did get some info pages here, as Damien's mentioned That tell us that ever since, you know, House of X there has not been an X-Men team. The X-Men have been disbanded. And I agree 100% that those info pages should have either ended Powers of X number 6 or started X-Men number 1. Because this is information that would have been helpful to have. Not that it would have made some of these issues any more satisfying to read, but I think, you know, context is king here. Knowing that the X-Men aren't a thing anymore. You know, despite the fact that they all have X's on their belts And everyone calls them the X-Men Knowing that they're not officially a team And that they have been disbanded Would have been helpful here The fact that we haven't had an X-Men team In the X-Men book for over a year at this point I mean, that's something I can deal with I mean, we don't have much of a choice We have to deal with it But the fact that it was all given to us In an info page And I swear I, I, I believe that a lot of folks skip them I think that a lot of folks either skim or skip them altogether. I'd probably skip them if I wasn't, you know, writing shows about this. I'd probably skip the info pages. Some of them I skim anyway. So I'm sure a lot of folks out there might not even realize that the X-Men aren't a thing. You know, because it was presented in an info page. It's really bad. Um, Damien continues. Of course, I'm glad to see the X-Men back, and I enjoyed the way the discussion went among the Quiet Council. The fact that Scott and Jean need Kurt, Emma, and Kitty to remain on the Council is a great bit of characterization. And we have one less hero on the Quiet Council, and will that influence the votes? It just might. Though, just a couple of chapters after this, we lose a villain on the uh, Quiet Council as well when Apocalypse is uh, chosen to remain with Genesis. So we're down to... uh, the Reign of Ten, or the Reign of X, or however we're going to be saying that. We're going to say Reign of X. I'm, I'm not playing the Ten game with anybody, but uh, uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting, and I definitely appreciated the characterization there as well, like uh, Scott lying to Kitty about the portal, or the, the gateways to, to get her to stay, and uh, without you know telling her, we need you here, It's it was very, very well done. Damien continues, Apocalypse vs. Genesis is an interesting fight. I don't think I expected Apocalypse to win, so it was a little surprising. Of course, with the Genesis Annihilation situation, he can win and lose. And yeah, this was a—I I appreciated this fight in that it didn't—it um, didn't require an entire issue to be told. I mean, it was told in an entire issue, but it wasn't an entire issue of fighting. This was an issue about the X Men. This was an issue about the Quiet Council. This was an issue about Cyclops and Jean. The, the, the I was going to call him Colossus No, Apocalypse and Genesis battle Was uh, Just came in bits and pieces throughout the issue And I think it was really I think it was much stronger for it And just like you, I, I did not expect Apocalypse to win I didn't expect uh, Him to Take Genesis' own sword And run it through a I, when I saw the Scarab sh- Sword Shatter, I figured it was a done deal—that uh, Apocalypse was either going to die, or he was going to forfeit, or he was going to turn on the Krakoans I didn't see it going this way. This almost felt too easy, and, and I guess you know we find out that it was when the Annihilation Helmet gets involved, and we do have this whole second wave that uh, comes after that. But definitely a surprise. Definitely surprised to have Apocalypse win, um, to actually disarm Genesis and Beater. It's It was well done. It was well done. Damien continues. I have to agree that Asrar was not as fantastic as usual in this issue. I feel like he's deliberately aping Lionel Francis Yu here. I wonder if this is something editorial had asked for. As you say, it could just be overwork. but he's also doing most of the Excalibur you'll be covering in the next issue. And yeah, I mentioned that uh, Mahmoud Asrar, whose work is usually fairly mind-blowing, very, very good, Uh, it came across quite muddy. In this issue It was kind of Kind of globby Um Not up to What we usually expect From him But as You know Damien pointed out here Azrar is being used A lot So There's certainly A possibility Maybe his pencils Were a bit looser Maybe he was Overly dependent On uh The colorist To uh To you know Get some shading In there or something But Whatever the case It uh It wasn't uh It wasn't What we're We're accustomed to From Mahmoud Azrar And uh which still means it's very, very good. But we've seen, we've seen, and we will see better. So, there's that. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until we discover that I was disbanded all along, make mine x labs I'm starting to worry that we've all been disbanded. I, I just haven't found any of our info pages to confirm or deny that yet. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on uh, on X-Men number 15, The the big reveal, the... The soft shoe drop that the X-Men are no longer a thing. Long, long after the fact. But thank you so, so much. One last thing we'll cover is a uh, tweet from our friend Andrew Franklin uh, regarding episode 133, where we talked about Gwenpool Strikes Back. He says, I didn't know anything about Gwenpool. It turns out she's pretty cool. So thank you for, <laughs> for listening to that Very off the beaten path episode here And uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you uh, You enjoyed Gwen um, I was uh, I, I mean I talked about it for an hour I was very very taken by that series I loved it Thought it was a lot of fun And I'm um, happy that uh, That Gwen is now part of our uh, Our ex-family So we might be seeing some more of her I think uh, we should work on getting a hashtag going You know Gwenpool for X-Factor Or something like that We'll see if we can't uh, we can't, uh, you know, grease some wheels here and get uh, and get her in a book that we that we actually cover and uh, sometimes enjoy. So maybe uh, maybe that'll put it over the top for us. So thank you so much for uh, for checking that episode out. I wasn't sure I wasn't sure how that one was gonna go. I thought either a lot of people were gonna like it or a lot of people were gonna be like, "What the hell is this?" So I'm glad you listened, and I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed the story. I hope you uh, I hope you're able to find it on uh, Marvel Unlimited and uh, and give it a look for yourself. And I hope everyone uh, will give that a look if you have access to a device that is compatible with Marvel Unlimited. But that'll do it for uh, the mailbag. And uh, if you would like to be part of the mailbag, please feel free to write in. You could uh, shoot me a tweet or a DM on Twitter. I'm at Ace Comics. You could also shoot me an old fashioned email over at Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris's on Infinite com. There's also xlapsed.chris's on Infinite com, where I've just uploaded all of the X Lapsed episodes. So if you're following the show through that website, which I, I would imagine nobody is, but just in case, time travel is and whatnot. Um, those X lapse Nation episodes are right there for you. There, uh, you can chat with us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie channel needs, you can go to Chris and Reggie.podbean.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Maybe the only time we'll ever cover a Fantastic Four issue on the show. So, There's that. We got that done. I want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out with me today, sharing your time, and letting me be part of your day. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.